0: Welcome to the Hellheim Podcast, I'm Joshua Skirtu, and with me today is Mark Valenti. As screenwriter, he's written over 200 hours of television, mostly for children and families, ranging from Rugrats to Disney TV movies. He writes movies for Lifetime and Hallmark, and he's authored several books, including a YA trilogy that came out in 2018 called The Wolf and the Warlander. Hi Mark, how are you doing? Good, how's it going? Good. We only had about 10 minutes of mic checks, but that's, we seem to have pulled it off. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're a screenwriter, and you you say you actually worked with John Hughes, and he's the reason you're fast with a script. You're able to quickly turn it around. Why is that?
1: Well, I'm, I, I had always been a writer when yeah. I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I hadn't really... I started experimenting with writing scripts before I worked for John. Mm-hmm. I finished a few spec scripts, but... When I started working for John, I saw a man who could write a full first draft of a script in about 24 hours.
0: Like a full feature length?
1: Full feature length, 100 plus pages, fully developed story. Uh, He would just go into these sort of manic, caffeine-fueled states where he would just stay up all night and pound out a script
0: that sounds like a fun project i think i need to try that (laughs)
1: it's it's one way to get page count yeah uh and but you know he had that extra something where he could really see the movie Mm -hmm. uh, played out so writing it fully fast like that was really the best way for him to proceed
0: yeah um you don't want to lose it yeah Yeah. and in
1: fact you know we were around when he wrote home alone which took him i think maybe 72 hours
0: so Home, Alone, first draft. Home Alone was written in 72 hours. That's pretty impressive. The first draft. Yeah, now, mind
1: you, it went through many other sure. drafts, and Chris Columbus, the director, also did a draft. Sure,
0: but that's still impressive. <laughs> yeah. So why did John Hughes... How did you get faster with John Hughes?
1: Uh, well, I was uh, my job was called vice president of development, mm-hmm. and that is a role where if you work for a typical company, you spend most of your time having breakfast lunches and dinners with writers and agents and you read a lot of material and you right. see what's the material best for can we make this movie at this company with this studio and being a vice president <coughs> of development for John meant that I only had one client which was him because mm-hmm. he wrote everything himself I see so I spent a lot of time with him over the course of three years frequently sitting right next to him as he was typing yeah uh, because he needed the uh, the input of someone else there he needed to have somebody to bounce things off yeah. of he would go into these kind of he would play brand new music from the united kingdom he would get a lot of uh, records and cassette tapes from then mm-hmm. and it would sort of fill his brain with new kind of wavelengths of ideas and things Interesting. and then uh, he would walk away with a full draft mm-hmm. and uh, he did this constantly i mean even after his death you know I could probably name two dozen scripts that I know he wrote that never got made.
0: Really? Wow. That's impressive. So how many scripts have you written? You I say personally you've had 200 uh, hours of television.
1: Yeah, I have written actually over sixty, six zero uh feature film scripts. Wait,
0: six hundred and sixty?
1: Six oh sixty. So 60. and I've and I've sold about ten of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first 10 that I wrote were just to ba- basically kind of teach myself how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then until I finally wrote one that I felt was like, that's a full movie. That's a complete realized idea. And that's the one that I sold first. Yeah. It was called Menno's Mind. It was a science fiction thriller and it was made at the Showtime channel.
0: Cool. So you think a writer needs to write 10 10- before they start trying to sit them out, you think? I would get... The
1: advice I would give to new writers is to ask yourself, what's your favorite movie?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Find that script online, download it or whatever you need to do, and retype the whole thing from start to finish. Really? because if you understand but the movie don't try to then
0: get it published cuz that's plagiarism. Well, that's plagiarism. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I mean if you know the movie inside and out to yeah. love it that much,
0: you know all the beats of it. type. As it's
1: typing it out will give you a really full understanding of what it takes to write the script for that particular movie. I like that. That's uh it's a good exercise. It's really worth doing.
0: I'm going to have to try that. So, you write for a living, but you also said you wanted to talk about writing for a passionate or personal satisfaction. So, do you have some projects that you just do for money?
1: Uh, I would say 90% of what I do is for just my... Just for money. Yeah, for my living, yeah. And yeah. that includes coming up with new ideas on an mm-hmm. hourly basis. Where yeah. can I sell this? Where can I position this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is commerce to me. This is, this is, this this is, is like if I was a carpenter, it would be my wood or my nails. Mm-hmm. This is how I make my living.
0: Mm-hmm. So something writers always get, a great question, is where do your ideas come from? How do you come up with ideas? I mean, I could
1: we could sit here talk, talking and we could come up with ideas about two guys doing a podcast. Right. I mean, I, there's no lack of ideas. That's just everything that happens. It could be a funny title that hits you. It could be a mm-hmm. situation that mm-hmm. reminds you of something. Um, if it's your profession... You come up with ideas for a living. And then the task is to, if you want to make a movie out of that idea, then you, of course, you have to come up with the fully rounded storyline. You need your secondary characters. You need your subplots. Mm -hmm. And then once you come up with the full story, in my opinion, the, the most important task is for you to try to kill that idea. Kill the idea? Yeah.
0: Like make
1: it useless? Make it go away. Try to shoot it.
0: How do you do that? give me an example
1: uh okay so let's just come up with yeah okay so you have like the world's smartest person and the world's dumbest person got forced to be in a situation together Mm -hmm. that could be a comedy movie right so you go through the movies that might have been similar to that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: was were any of them so successful that it would be foolish to try to make another one i see um is it something that the audience would respond to would the studios feel like it would be worthy enough to put two big stars into the movie would they pump 50 million dollars into it right so if the answer to any of these questions is no then -hmm. you put that idea down you move on to the next one yep if I can kill the idea someone else will too right
0: so you try to kill your own ideas before you really invest a lot of time into them. Yeah, because it takes yeah.
1: a while to write a script. I'm not as fast as John Hughes, you yeah. know. <laughs> if I know where I'm going, I can write a first draft in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But that's still an investment of time. That's Yeah. That's you know, weeks. Yeah.
0: yeah. Hmm. So I I actually had the first script I ever wrote was a this will sound familiar. as a group of young guys going to Vegas. And getting into trouble. <laughs> there you go. And I wrote it actually uh, about a couple of years before uh, The Hangover came out. And I was like, Oh, well, that came out now, so killed, done. Got to yeah. kill it. Got to kill it.
1: One of my jobs was a I was a story analyst for a lot of companies, including mm. Oprah Winfrey. I read for Sidney Pollock. I read for Ron Howard. And uh, over those that time, I probably read three to four thousand books and scripts. Wow and you get the sense that there there really are no original ideas no, it would there be it would astonish you to see how many times you'd see a buddy movie on the road to Vegas mm-hmm. or it's just the matter of how did that movie come together deal wise right
0: yeah and you don't want something recent like if in twenty to thirty years you could probably get away with doing another buddy comedy in Vegas but you can't do that now it's too early.
1: no and there was even a time when I You know, with my writer friends, we would look at public domain properties or early movies that were made that are now in the public domain. Is there anything worth remaking? So forth. To me, it was an interesting intellectual exercise. Yeah. But it's no way to make product that will be on the screens in 2019, Mm -hmm. because you can always update stuff. But there's other factors involved in the in the world of showbiz. Yeah. And you really need to tailor your ideas to what's going on now. So what's going on right now? Well, there's a lot of material being sold to places like Netflix.
0: I've noticed that and they're doing a lot of great shows. Apple
1: and DreamWorks and there's a lot more video on demand.
0: And uh, most so of my favorite new shows are actually on like Netflix and Amazon. Sure, and yeah. they've done
1: a great job. Yeah. They don't hit a hundred percent. You know, they're probably at about fifty percent.
0: Fifty percent of what?
1: In terms of making things, they're throwing billions of dollars oh, into making quality. new. Yeah, but uh, they yeah. don't
0: always work out. They don't. No, but you still get a lot of amazing stuff. Like uh, Atypical just came out with the third season, and yeah. uh, it's the end of the effing world just came out amazing. Yeah, yeah. fascinating
1: to watch, interesting acting, really good mm-hmm. writing.
0: Oh yeah, they're pretty amazing. So, what's the most interesting project you've worked on?
1: Most interesting, probably. And that's kind of an open yeah, like I think Lazy Town, uh, which was a kids' show that was shown on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. That was what's probably the most I, interesting. What's
0: funny is I know that show because of the Little John mashup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know that?
1: Oh, yeah. It brought us a whole new
0: audience. <laughs> a whole other level, yeah. Um, Why was that interesting? I mean,
1: well, first of all, it was shot in Iceland. Oh. So we all, many of us from around the world, made the pilgrimage to a uh, soundstage in the middle of a lava field in Reykjavik. Interesting. And made that show. We made over 100 episodes altogether.
0: How long did you live there?
1: Uh, all together, back and forth over two years. Two years. huh? And just because of the uniqueness of the location and the friendships I made and, yeah. and the difficulty of working on. The first year we made 35 episodes of a 30-minute show. That's a lot. Every episode had an action sequence, a music video, a montage. Plus we were working with humans and puppets on a green screen. <laughs>
0: There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like living in Iceland? I loved it. Yeah.
1: I would consider it a, a second home. Yeah. It's uh it's beautiful, the people are wonderful. Um and when you think Iceland, you know, you think it's so
0: cold and it does get cold for it sure. Get, it's actually snowing right now. Right yeah, right outside our window. It just yeah. started to come down.
1: <laughs> but you know there's not a lot of humidity there, so yeah. it's not that cold unless the wind is blowing. Okay. And that and that does kind of go through you. Yeah does
0: that? so you mentioned one of the downfalls of iceland though is $25 hamburgers
1: it's expensive but how you can know, a
0: hamburger cost $25 like
1: well remember it's an island so they have to yeah. import everything sure um it still
0: seems a bit much
1: well those are the places that are just if you go off the beaten path mm-hmm. things stabilize a little bit a little those bit. are mostly tourist places okay
0: interesting so
1: what was your why did you want to become a writer I was writing since I was a kid. Yeah.
0: Um, it just what was came your first story? Easily. Do you
1: remember it? It was a short story called A Miserable Revision of a Terrible Incision.
0: That's the greatest title. How old were you when you came up with that? <laughs> I was uh, nine. You were nine and you came up with that title? Yeah. I That's was, uh, impressive. Just the title uh, alone. I don't know how good the story I mean, is. I, but... Okay,
1: so I, I watched a lot of movies, old movies. Uh-huh. It was my love. I... You know, I was, I knew who Humphrey Bogart was when I was six years old, you know. Wow. And there were television stations that would run Cagney movies, Bogart, Larlyn Hardy, Marx Brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a whole opportunity to see a lot of that stuff. Plus, I practically lived at my local library, getting books out constantly about showbiz. Mm -hmm. So I knew the difference between an MGM movie and a Warner Brothers movie.
0: At nine? By
1: looking at it, Yeah. So I studied movies the way some kids study baseball. Yeah. Uh, That was my passion. And so by the time I was in maybe like middle school, Mm -hmm. I was writing maybe 10 page short stories that were kind of cinematic. Yeah. And uh, I just took a left turn somewhere in high school because I started getting into musicals and plays and I... I, was, I fell prey to the uh, adoration of the crowds, I guess, yeah. and I, I started thinking that I was going to become an actor.
0: Oh, okay. So
1: I went to New York, tried that, failed, went to LA, got on sitcoms, soap operas, all that sort of thing, had the whole agent, the whole deal, but I yeah. really never liked it.
0: No, you didn't like acting? Not at all. No. No. Hmm.
1: It, was, it was a challenge that wasn't worth the effort.
0: Okay. Yeah, you got to... You're going to do something like acting or writing. Like You really have to like it. You have to really like it. Because it's, it's not an easy But straight on through,
1: I always wrote short stories and scripts and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, when you get into the business, you see that there aren't just acting and directing jobs. There's hundreds of different jobs. Mm-hmm. And the one that really appealed to me was writer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so you have a book series called the wolf and the Warlander. can Correct. you tell us a little bit about that yes it's
1: uh, published by the Mannheim steamroller group um if you're familiar with them they are a music group that goes out and does christmas music they're, The music group they're the number one music entertainer in the world for christmas um, okay yeah i have heard of them i just didn't know they were a publisher <laughs> they tour every year well he has a lot of side businesses the man's okay. name is chip davis Okay. He has a food uh, part of his business. He sells food, spices, mm-hmm. hot chocolate. But he, he diversified. Also, he does. <laughs> and he, he really found a niche in the market that really works for him. And so he's had other books published for holiday stuff. Mm-hmm. But here's how this happened. He called me one day and said, how would you like to write a book called The Wolf and the Warlander? Mm-hmm. And I said, that would be great. What's it about? He pitched the book to you. Well, he said, I don't know what it's about, (laughs) but isn't that a great title? (laughs) That is a
0: great title. And
1: it came from the fact that he owns uh, wolves as pets on his property. What? Like the wild ones? Yeah. Well, he tames them and raises them. Okay. And then uh, he also has Warlander horses. It's a type of horse. I see. And so one of the wolves and one of the Warlander horses became sort of best friends. Really? And he had this inspiration for the title. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he knew that I like to write long form stuff. I've written for him before. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to write the first book. Mm -hmm. And so the first, it was a pleasure to write. It was just to to sort of spread your wings and try a new kind of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Really enjoyed it. And then the book first came out. It was well received and it was, we just thought, let's write a trilogy. Mm -hmm. So we got together and kicked around some ideas and I wrote the next two and they've been selling really well and kids are turning on to them. They're kind of an old fashioned sort of black beauty type of storyline. Sure. But uh, it was really fun. And I'd love to have a chance to do that again. Yeah. Interesting.
0: So what are you working on right now? I actually
1: have, uh, well, always a lot of stuff you can't talk about because the deals are sort of, but uh, I'm writing another movie for lifetime for next Christmas. And I'm writing a, a new animated show for a celebrity Uh, who's attached to it can't say who can't say who just yet and uh working on a show a live action animation hybrid show uh that's designed to teach kids about um self-respect and anti-bullying and those kinds of things that's good and so we've been putting that together and we'll probably pull that together for uh netflix or some other video on demand service awesome
0: so tell me about the lifetime movies
1: those well, are always interesting, interesting. Uh, so you
0: write a lot of christmas movies i have written uh or is it more like the the, the abused spouse movies well like i think so those I, are the two ends of the spectrum I, <laughs> for lifetime
1: i did hallmark movies before i started writing for lifetime yeah so i've done a lot of christmas content for television yeah a couple of tv movies lots of kids' episodes of TV shows, The Rugrats and Lazy Mm -hmm. Town, lots of Christmas content. Yeah. And you can kind of get boxed in as that guy, and I'm perfectly happy to do that.
0: Do you like Christmas?
1: I love it. Good. And I like writing about it, and Mm -hmm. I'm happy to do a movie a year if I were to get that chance. Yeah. But Lifetime gives you a chance to be a little edgier, Mm -hmm. you know, explore the darker side of human nature. Definitely. I just had a movie on in October on Lifetime called My Wife's Secret Life
0: okay
1: and it's um <laughs> it touches on adultery and blackmail and violence and uh <laughs> you know it was a real hoot because you never get a chance to do that in a kid's world kid-friendly no friendly world so yeah exercise those muscles um yeah.
0: so that's interesting you you do a lot of your stuff is for family content like hallmark and you do a lot of cartoons But then you also do some of the adult stuff. Is Lifetime mostly where you've done the adult, more adult content? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But I mean, you know, I like, I also like, it would be fantastic to write uh, for adults more than I get a chance to. Yeah. Because the dialogue is snappier. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, sometimes the episodes are more interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's really great to write for kids because kids, if you've ever tried to entertain a kid in your home, I have a four-year-old, so I have. <laughs> so you know what their attention span is like. It's non-existent. And many people feel like writing for kids is sort of a lesser kind of a career move.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's really, it's it's invigorating, and it's enriching, and it's a real challenge mm-hmm. to see if you can hold a kid's attention for longer than seven seconds. <laughs> Good and luck with uh, that. there's nothing better than when I meet somebody who watched my shows when they were a kid and come mm-hmm. up to me and say, oh, you... You entertained me when I was a kid. It was so fun, and that was a great show.
0: Yeah, people hold on to those memories from when they're kids. So yeah, especially uh, it sticks with them.
1: Yeah, the younger ones. Like I've written for Barney. Yeah. You know, Barney, those people sort of kids push off against that show when they get a little bit older because they want to prove that they're older and they right.
0: can't. I'm not a baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But
1: yeah. I mean, that was one of the more challenging shows to write. Really? Why is that? Because they had a formula
0: that they yeah. worked with. I did notice the formula.
1: <laughs> and uh, you've got to write it within this formula. It perfected this and yeah. it became a billion dollar brand. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a method to the madness.
0: So I've noticed a lot of shows have formulas like do you prefer when you're writing tv to write toward a formula especially
1: like, for kids yeah because kids really like the predictability of it mm-hmm. if you did a tv show for a younger kid that was different every episode mm-hmm. they would tune out they would just be done they have this innate they want to, they ex- They know what's coming yeah they
0: expect it it's easier yeah. yeah
1: like where's the music sequence there's always a song right here right. where did it go
0: it's like with Mister Rogers, like this is where he sits down and he talks to the camera and stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's some comforting to it, and it's mm-hmm. kind of a, um, but it's it's it kind of mirrors their own life because mm-hmm. they've got to get up in the morning, eat breakfast, get dressed. Mm-hmm. There's a ritual to it, and it's the same thing with kids. Now, when you get into the world of adult sitcoms, mm-hmm. uh, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen next mm-hmm. because people, adults, prefer that kind of unpredictability.
0: There's still a little bit of formula to the adult sitcom. Like there's a basic plot structure. The A and B plot. Like here's, here's, here's one that really has a formula. Dr. House. Like House, did you ever watch House? Of course. Like it has the exact same formula every episode. It's like, oh, the patient is sick. Let's try to cure them. No, that made them dead now let's try something else like <laughs> you know i first <laughs> noticed these going. kinds
1: of things when i was a kid and i would read mad magazine because mm-hmm. they every episode of mad would tackle a feature film mm-hmm. and a tv show yep and they would tease or mock the conventions definitely mocking <laughs> yeah and it was you know it was a good way to sort of recognize what what the deal was mm-hmm. how to make these things interesting
0: was mad a big influence on you
1: too Oh my God! I loved Mad, Mad Magazine, National Lampoon, Ernie Kovacs, Monty Python.
0: Oh, I love Monty Python. Uh, you know all of
1: it. That we were brought up in an era like, where
0: I have the the Fine Circus right there at the top. <laughs> the whole yeah, I mean set. there
1: was a sense of irreverence about things mm-hmm. that our parents didn't grow up with. Yeah, but we kind of and you know of course I'm older
0: than you, but this no, was even the, my parents didn't grow up with it like. <laughs> They weren't into that stuff. Right. So, yeah, similar.
1: And uh, frequently the older people would say, turn that off. It's yeah. disrespectful.
0: Oh, yeah. But that's what makes it fun. For us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Monty Python a lot because it's, it's just like you were talking about the unexpected. Like adults really like to see the unexpected. And that's where comedy works the best, really. But if you, you think
1: about Monty Python from a screenwriting element, those were some of the most heavily written most specifically tailored uh, scripts, you know, a lot of it just seems uh, impromptu and improvisational, but it was, they were so heavily scripted. Oh yeah. They were definitely scripted. And that's where the brilliance came in was in the writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It works.
0: Which is your favorite Monty Python movie. I'd
1: like, I'd like the meaning of life, even though uh, life of Brian is, and uh, you know, the Knights of knee, everybody likes all
0: that stuff. So, uh, my favorite has always been uh, The Holy Grail, but I actually recently rewatched The Meaning of Life, and I had watched it when I was in my early twenties the first time, and I think I just didn't connect with a lot of the humor because a lot of it's talking about having kids, like all these other things that you know you don't go through a lot when you're in your teens and your early. Yeah, it 20s. doesn't resonate. And then in my thirties, I rewatched it, and I was like, oh. That's actually quite an amazing movie. Like a lot more of the humor kind of hit me. Like the exact interesting. opposite happened to me with a um,
1: writer called Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, I'm who a big was fan. one of my favorites when I was a kid and a young adult. Mm-hmm. And I've recently reread Kurt Vonnegut, and I can't do it anymore. You can't. There's a certain kind of um, darkness, dark humor about oh, his yeah. stuff. Definitely. You know, when you're in your young teenage years, early twenties, you're sort of cynical about everything. Oh yeah.
0: Uh, or you just always are (laughs) grown up stink you know whatever this is so
1: the world is coming to an end
0: and we hate adults everybody's a little bit of an anarchist at that age
1: but i find it and even though i still respect him greatly and i love Mm -hmm. and i love listening to him speak in old videos and things Mm -hmm. like that but i find that the stories now are a little i i want to be a little more hopeful now in my older years Then his writing is, it's still a pleasure to read, but I, I find I wouldn't go to it by choice anymore.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, who would you say your favorite author is that has stuck around even into your later years? Uh, well, John Irving
1: is the writer who I would say is the, the most meaningful current living author. Mm Mm-hmm. His writing is very Dickensian. What does he write? Uh, Water, Cider House Rules. Okay. uh, He's written tons of novels. The Son of the Circus.
0: The snow just kind of like... Wow. We're getting blizzard out here. (laughs) This is a whiteout, folks. Yeah. Uh,
1: Don't leave your house. Yeah. Um, By the
0: time this is on, it probably won't be.
1: (laughs) But in terms of beautiful prose... Mm -hmm. And really readability, Uh, I love his novels. Interesting, but it really is a commitment because you're looking at
0: six, seven hundred pages. Oh yeah, that that's a bit of time. (laughs) Yeah, I used to be able to hammer through those like six hundred page novels, like when I was younger. Like some of my favorite novels were like *The Count of Monte Cristo*, and like it's a massive book, and like now it's hard for me to like sit down and like spend that much time reading a novel, like. I find myself drawn more to nonfiction. Like, I read so oh, much more yeah, nonfiction. Yeah. I, I'm actually,
1: because when you're a writer full time, you mm-hmm. see a lot of the tricks in the books. Mm-hmm. You can see things coming, and it kind of robs the pleasure of it. It
0: does. Yeah. And especially if, like, I look at it and I'm like, oh no, they're doing it wrong. I could have done this so much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: one of the interesting things uh, I think is uh, when I was a kid, you know, they, they used to have classics illustrated comic books. -hmm. And they would do comic book versions of all the classics like Count of Monte Cristo Mm -hmm. and Tom Sawyer. And you could see that's cool. The panels that they chose to feature in the comic books were always important story points. Yeah. So there's a lot of prose written in these books that don't move the story forward, don't have anything to do with the plot. They're just details that can create atmosphere. But the comic books, every panel was meaningful. Mm-hmm. to propel the story forward yeah they
0: would only focus on the actions yeah, the plot. yeah. and
1: so many popular writers and and directors and producers today are, were comic book geeks when they were kids mm-hmm. and they learned how to tell stories that way mm-hmm. it's a really useful thing and you know a lot of people put down comics in the 50s and 60s but i think they spawned a whole generation of people who create content now
0: and people who want content like that like the reality is like while i loved the count of monte cristo like I prefer novels that are a lot more paced, like a comic book, like you're talking about, where it doesn't doesn't go quite Dickensian. It's a modern enough. way of. Uh, it's yeah. more modern writing where it's like it's it's almost like you're reading a movie, like mm-hmm. and it's honestly how I write too. Like a lot of times I have to go back and say, okay, I need to add more description here. Yeah.
1: Name drop here, but my first job in show business was for Steven Spielberg. Really? I was a PA for him for two years. Nifty. He had this program where you would take a job there mm-hmm. and then he would give you two years to check out the entire industry. And mm-hmm. that was possible because everybody in the whole world came to him. Yeah. So you would see the biggest movie stars, the biggest producers, directors, heads of studios, mm-hmm. heads of countries, you know, would come and visit. Wow. So you would get a real inside view on how things worked. Mm-hmm. And then you were supposed to figure out where you wanted to go next. Yeah. From there. Mm-hmm. And two years, you know, Working 100-hour weeks, fetching coffee for everybody. But in the meantime, figure out your career. So one of the things that... uh, I was lucky enough to be on uh, a movie called Empire of the Sun. Okay. He directed. It was set in Shanghai in World War II. Mm -hmm. And I was able to sit in on the sessions that he had with the storyboard artists where he would go through the script and he would guide them about creating the storyboards for each scene. Yeah. And I got a real bird's-eye view on how a really a clever genius director took a script apart visually mm-hmm. and how he wanted to see that movie move that on would the be, screen.
0: That would be awesome to see.
1: Yeah, that was really a lucky thing. And it also taught me a lot about um, the difference between real time and movie time. Mm-hmm. Because things work in movies that don't work in real life. Like what? Uh, well, for instance, if you've ever seen anybody in a movie or a TV show speak on the phone,
0: oh yeah it's never realistic it's never realistic but you buy it because nobody ever says goodbye they just hang up on each other and it's
1: also about getting information so you wouldn't really want to watch a real phone conversation no you have to do it in a movie
0: version yeah it has to be like i'm communicating this info confirmed blah blah blah. but like a real conversation always ends in an awkward way in my experience there's always somebody saying okay good talk to you bye the other person's bye okay okay are you gonna hang up (laughs) that never happens in movies no it's much
1: more definitive you don't want to waste that real estate by wasting time
0: but to me like in a comedy i think that would i think that could work (laughs) so we actually met at a film conference it's the in motion film conference it was their first time doing it pretty amazing and it it's in St. Louis. There's a little bit of a film industry here. What do you think about that?
1: I think they've tried to do things here for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister used to be on the St. Louis Film Commission uh, 25 years ago when they were. They had actually a, a tax rebate, the program that they ended.
0: Yeah, they were talking about that at the conference. They're trying to get that going again.
1: And I think it's probably going to happen. It's just the thing that makes the most sense to bring this kind of income, these kinds of spending into mm-hmm. the city but beyond that it feeds the city's creative soul there are hundreds of people here in st louis that are creative and could make interesting content
0: or thousands and aren't okay. getting
1: a chance to do that
0: right there's a, like i met a lot of people at that conference who are like i want to make movies like they want to make films they want to be involved in it you know everything from sound guys to people who hold the camera to writers and producers it was amazing like how but many if people I'm being
1: honest i, I don't want to I I appreciate the world of the indies. I spoke about this a little bit Uh at the conference, but I don't I see indies as more of a hobby Mm -hmm. than a career move. Mm -hmm. And what I'm interested in is building something here that can be sustainable and what that means a studio. Yeah. It means a studio where there can be sound stages, you can shoot a sitcom as easily as you can shoot a feature film. Are there no studios here at all? Well, there's Cool Fire, there's a couple of others, and they're yeah. all based in doing reality stuff. Yeah. But nobody's doing scripted stuff as yeah. a studio.
0: Because reality is cheaper to shoot.
1: It's cheaper, yeah. and there are outlets for There's mm-hmm. far more outlets for indie stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what I'm going to try to do is put together a group of people who would like to work on a sitcom. That'd be awesome. Because the sitcom requires multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. It's a longer commitment. Mm-hmm. And it requires something like a studio. Yeah. Awesome. And so that's we're talking amongst a lot of people. There are some investors who are interested. Cool. And uh um, If you
0: need a PA, let me know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I would I would like to write a sitcom that's made right here. It you would have be an idea nice for to not a sitcom have to yet? get
0: on a plane
1: and have to go to LA or New
0: York or. Do you have an idea for one? Oh yeah. Yeah. What is it? Pitch it. <laughs> Next time, next time, okay. I'll
1: come back next time when we are ready to premiere the
0: first episode. That'd be awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So you're gonna open a studio?
1: Well, I don't know if I'm gonna be the one. Yeah. I would like to encourage somebody to do it. Yeah. Somebody who has the broad business experience and the money understands. Yeah. What it means to do that kind of thing, but it's not difficult. There's tons of spaces in the city. There is. And there's a if you if you find enough like-minded people with the will to make it happen, Mm -hmm. it will happen.
0: Yeah. Real estate is cheap here and like the world has changed so much with the internet and accessibility to places like Netflix and Amazon that are picking up shows. Like you don't have to be in LA to necessarily do this stuff. Steven
1: Soderbergh recently made a movie using an iPhone 10 for a camera. (laughs) So come on folks. How did it turn out? It was beautiful. What movie is that? I, I don't remember the name. It came out about two, three years ago. Um, but it just it was goes a to show length? you it was a feature-length with film. an iphone yeah <laughs> well the technology is amazing though. it
0: is you can get 4k on your phone now like everybody walks around with 4k phone 4k cameras in their pockets that actually they auto focus they do all these great things it looks amazing like, and the
1: iphone 10 has software available so that you don't need a green screen anymore it really? captures the image the three-dimensional image Perfectly, Hmm. you can later take that as an element, as a software element, Mm -hmm. and put that into a a different location, and it's seamless. It's, yeah,
0: brilliant. (laughs) iPhone movies. Well, it's been awesome having you on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, Is there anything that you want to pitch? Anything coming up that you want to let our guests know about i i would like to
1: just ask anybody who's in st louis who's listening to this to think about what it would mean to have a studio here in town if there's any way that they'd like to contribute or participate there will be press releases Mm -hmm. after the first of the year which would give you the kind of information about what we're doing Mm -hmm. and i would encourage anybody with an interest in that sort of thing to get in touch once we make the announcement
0: awesome yeah well I will definitely keep an eye out for that. That's, That's awesome. Great. I think I think St. Louis could be a great place for a film uh, industry because everything here is so cheap. <laughs> like land is so cheap. You could just build a studio for like a quarter of what you would in L.A. Well, it used to be for
1: indie movies or any kind of low budget works like this, um, mm-hmm. what would kill you in the marketplace is the acting. Mm-hmm. And so people would put movies together and take the trouble to go into production. But the acting wasn't stellar. But yeah, there are some amazing actors in St. Louis now. Right. There's a lot of talent here on in on every level.
0: Oh, yeah. So, well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So this has been the Helheim podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu and my guest has been Mark Valenti. Uh, you can check me out at JoshuaSkirtu.com. Thank you. Have a good day.